Welcome back to Pastor and People. This is Isaac Adams. I'm sitting here with T. Uh, and we are chopping it up normally as we do on Pastor and People, talking about how pastors and people can work together for their joy, their mutual joy uh, in the Lord, coming out of 2 Corinthians one uh, twenty four, And we were actually talking a lot about the Corinthians last time. Mm. We were talking a lot about how Paul, even though the Corinthian church, frankly, was a mess, as mm. we all know, uh, took joy in them. Mm. Took joy in them. Yeah. Uh, as they grew in holiness. And last time we talked about the pastor's greatest joy, a holy people. Mm. Seeing people progress in holiness. We talked about how uh, when couples who maybe their marriage is falling apart, they're working and grinding at that. Uh, to grow in holiness for the sake of God. Mm. Uh, and T, today I want to just pick t- pick this up talking about that fight. Uh, because we finished last time talking about the life of God and the soul of the church, right? Mm. After uh, you confessed uh, to plagiarizing Mr. Murray's <laughs> exchange. After you confessed. Uh, but I want to talk more about that. How, how does the church fight for this together? Mm. That's a great question. Uh, you know, Isaac, it's, it's important that we start with the description that you gave of the Corinthian church. You you said, frankly, they're a mess. And I think Corinth is in the Bible because all our churches are messes. Amen. Starting with the pastor. Uh, <laughs> starting with the pastor. You know, Paul could say he was the worst sinner Amen. of all. And uh, there are far too many pastors who act like they can't say the same thing about themselves. Amen. Um, and so the first thing is just to start with uh, the acknowledgement as pastors and people that we're a mess. That's why we needed a savior. Uh, in fact, we're a hot mess sometimes, you know. So, so just to begin there would be helpful, and and not just to begin there in terms of a statement once or twice from the pulpit or some such thing, but you know, you, you really we really want to pray and labor for churches um, where it's okay not to be okay, mm. but it's not okay to stay that way. Mm. You know, it, it's it's we are broken people, and uh, that's that's the only kind of people there are in the world, and so it's got to be okay that we're broken, and it's got to be okay that our, our lives are a mess, and sometimes a worse mess at at sometimes than at others, and um, you know the kind of plastic Christianity that's you know invaded the church where everybody looks nice and presents well and speaks to christianese but beneath it they're a roiling mess well you know you can't have revival in plastic christianity because revival is about heat and plastic can't stand it and so we we need to really provide some kindling to the lord's fire and that kindling is our messy lives so i think the first thing is create a, a culture in the church where messiness is acknowledged and addressed and in a healthy way permitted mm-hmm. and encouraged mm-hmm. um, and where people then can just be real. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's such a good word, T. Mm. Uh, and I want to talk about culture in a second. Mm. Uh, but it does make me think of uh, my pastor over here who says when he's, you know, fencing the table in an appropriate way, mm. but he starts it off simply by saying, uh, this meal is only for sinners. Amen. So Amen. <laughs> if you're not a sinner, you have Amen. no business... You know, no need of this meal. Amen. Uh, and of course, that's tongue in cheek. But all that to say, man, we are all mm. all sinners. No, I think that I think that's real. Um, you know, that little sentence is helpful for the unredeemed sinner and the redeemed sinner. Mm. It's helpful for the unredeemed sinner because it it, it hopefully sounds like an invitation, mm-hmm. right, to come receive Christ. It's helpful for the redeemed sinner because we we have this curious problem of forgetting that we're sinners. <sighs> 
You know, I mean, it's it's like it's wonderful in one sense that you go on in Christ and rejoice in the grace of Christ. Um, but we can't forget why the cross was necessary and why it was necessary for me, uh, for my sin, and that I have a war to fight with that sin. And, um, you know, we, we can't win wars that we're not aware that we're in. And uh, the battle for holiness is a war and we need to be we need to be girded up and aware. It does, and it also makes me think of uh, Tony. You know, we got to call Tony out. Mm, the bishop, <laughs> the bishop of Atlanta. <laughs> and I think he was talking about something about, as you said, invitations. And he was talking about the sinner's prayer. Mm. And of course, Tony, you know, he said, "I don't know what prayer isn't by a sinner." Right. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what prayer is not a sinner's prayer? Yeah, there, 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 yeah. What prayer is not every, a sinner's? Every prayer? one of them. Every one of them going up. But uh, God is gracious to hear those and to help us Amen. in our prayer. Amen. As Romans eight. Romans 8 rejoices in. So let's go back to that culture, because you said, frankly, let's have a culture of not sinful allowance, but a culture of reality, mm-hmm. a culture of messiness. Mm-hmm. I'm a mess. You're a mess. Mm-hmm. Let's be messes together in Christ and help mm-hmm. one another. Uh, and frankly, that also just sounds like then a culture of encouragement. Mm-hmm. So a lot mm-hmm. of people, in a, and I'm thankful for this, talk about a culture of discipleship, mm-hmm. but a culture of encouragement in the church. What mm-hmm. does that look like? Yeah. From the pastor's perspective, from the people's perspective? Yeah. Well, first of all, it ought to be daily. Mm-hmm. The Bible says that encourage each other daily mm-hmm. uh, as, you see, as you see the day approaching. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. In Hebrews, yeah. And, and secondly, when you think about as you see the day approaching, it ought to be urgent, right? Mm-hmm. So Christ is coming again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his coming today is sooner than it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. And it could happen in a moment um, with, without without announcement or fanfare um so much so that some people are going to be caught by surprise in it um and so we we need to sort of cultivate the habit of every day encouraging at least one or two brothers and sisters in the lord that are part of our church family um and so that could be that can take the form of just quick little emails you know sometimes a, a brief email say hey you don't need to email me back i just want you to know i pray for you this morning it's encouraging to be prayed for. We we, we sing that. Somebody prayed for me. You know, had me on their mind. You know, it took the time. Pray for me. So just to take the time and send an email. Let them know that you prayed for them. Um, specific words of encouragement. Um, you know, whether it's, I, I heard about the doctor's report mm-hmm. and the things that are going on there. And I just, just reminding them of the Lord's promise. He's Jehovah who heals and uh, he will not leave you nor forsake you. You've got an entire family here that'll, that'll walk with you through this illness um, or words of congratulations. You know, you, you in the church, in the African-American church tradition, we, we make a big deal out of education, you know, because our people for so long were denied it. And we have understood it to be part of the pathway forward and progress. And so we celebrate graduate high school graduations, middle school graduations, <laughs> kindergarten, kindergarten yeah. graduations, you know. Um, so, but, you know, remembering those seasons, graduations, off the God, they're just a, for anybody who would um, take a moment to do this. There are an infinite number of occasions mm. for encouragement. Mm. And so to do that in word, to do that in serving other people, mm. you've got an elderly person in your church. 
it's the fall season. They need their gutters clean. Mm-hmm. They ain't got no business on a ladder. Uh, you know, you, you're 22. If you fall off the ladder, you're going to heal. You know, if they fall off the ladder, they done. You know, so you going up on the ladder, clean their gutters. Don't, don't wait for them to ask. Just go serve them. You know, so acts of service are forms of encouragement. Um, and so, you know, people encourage your pastor. Get a good night's sleep on Saturday night. Come Sunday morning refreshed, ready to meet the Lord. Um, sing out mm-hmm. with great joy. Mm-hmm. Listen attentively to the word of God. And after the service, you know, whether immediately after the service or a day or two later, uh, as you reflect on the sermon later, if there is one, two, three specific things that you want to commend in the pastor's sermon, send him that note or tell him that. Mm-hmm. And say, hey, you preached this text and I felt like the Lord spoke to me about ABC. Mm. Or you explain this text, and I have never understood this text, mm. but you explained it really clearly, and my soul was helped. Mm. That'll do more for your pastor's preaching uh, and for his faithfulness in the pulpit than you can imagine. Mm. So you just want a, a, a wide culture of encouraging the entire body. Mm. And it sounds like, T, as you said, the opportunities are endless. Mm. And what maybe we might pray for is, Lord, give me sensitivity to mm-hmm. these opportunities. Mm-hmm. I don't even need to necessarily pray for opportunities mm-hmm. uh, because they're there. But mm-hmm. might, might I have sensitivity to them? And T, I've heard you talk about this before, and I think it'd be helpful uh, just for the folks joining us up on the porch and the specifically the pastors because and I've learned this as myself about as a young man my temptation is to go into a church go into a sermon and criticize mm. and see the areas where people are falling short sure. and I think I've heard you say pastor for frankly your first five years mm-hmm. just encourage your people yeah yeah I think man you know you you're absolutely right that the, it's really easy to see the the bride of Christ, to see her blemishes, Mm -hmm. to see her faults, and to point them out, to see how the faults matter and and what things could be hurt by those faults. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of course, when we're doing that, it's not necessarily that we're wrong, um, but it is the case that we are focused more on uh, her weaknesses than the Lord's grace mm-hmm. in those in those situations. And oftentimes we're focused on our areas of strength, mm-hmm. things we see and think could be better. Um, and there's a kind of self-righteousness that can creep into that. And when you're, when you're a new pastor in a church, and by new pastor, I mean you've been there less than five years. Yeah. Uh, when you're a new pastor in a church and you're pointing out the, the flaws and the weaknesses, man, your people are not hearing you say, I love you. Yeah. They're hearing you criticize them. And you may have all the good intentions of the world, but you're, you're not, trust me, you are not being heard well, mm-hmm. um, except by the other self-righteous critical people who are glad somebody showed up <laughs> and, and telling all these other people right. what they need to know. Right. That That's not your that's not your fan base. So <laughs> you don't want to appeal to those people. Right. So I think it would be wise of a guy who goes into a church in his first five years to commend everything he can commend um, without flattery and and without manipulation to sort of point out evidences of God's grace everywhere he can uh, in sort of natural conversation in the hallway, Mm -hmm. in your pastoral visitation when you visit, say, the older members or families, um, in your preaching, and you begin to apply the scripture to make encouragement 
the one of the primary filters for your application. Mm-hmm. Um, what can I say here that will build the people up, mm-hmm. that will take note of God's work in their lives before I got here, um, and and commend that. And when they know that you're for them, mm-hmm. because they feel you encouraging them specifically and sincerely, uh, they, then they will know that you love them. Mm-hmm. And when they know that you love them, then you'll be able to lead them. Uh, and, and you're only supposed to lead them in love mm-hmm. anyway. Mm-hmm. And so I just want to say, you know, spend that first five years, man, getting to know your people well enough that you can encourage them mm-hmm. and, and, and encourage them so often that you become fluent in that language. That's right. Um, so that's right. Um, T, I wanna I wanna switch gears here uh, back to the people side. Thank mm-hmm. you for that word on the on the pastor side. But back to the people side, uh, because we've talked about before uh, a pastor's time, and as you said, there's we want to create this culture where there's a mutual accountability, mm-hmm. right? There's a there's a covenantness there among the people themselves. Mm. Uh, and one practical way that's facilitated is small groups, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I want to talk about, T, how do, how do small groups, per se, help in this fight for holiness? Yeah. Well, many of the folks listening to this probably will have, uh, if you're coming from African-American church traditions, you may have come from a local church that doesn't really even have a, a history of, of using small groups. Well, this is fairly new for many of our churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this this whole idea may, may seem a little bit new and even uncomfortable for some. But I think what you're trying to do in small groups is further each other's sanctification mm-hmm. through the intimacy of smaller groups that you can achieve in a sort of mass meeting of the church. And so in groups of as small as three, um, and sometimes as large as 20, mm-hmm. you know, um, what you're doing is you're gathering and you're, you're doing the sort of ordinary things that Christians do. You're praying with and for each other. You're probably studying um, a book of the Bible or some topic from the Bible or maybe reading a good Christian book together and discussing it. Um, and you're thinking through how to apply the truth of the word you know, to, to your life mm-hmm. and building relationships that, that nurture that kind of ap- application. Mm-hmm. And as we were saying earlier in this conversation, that kind of um, openness about our need and our brokenness and so on, our messiness. Um, and so the, those groups then just become a, a smaller uh, context mm-hmm. in which to kind of bear each other's burdens, mm-hmm. to build each other up. And to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and to make strides uh, toward sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, groups like that can meet once a week. They can meet once every other week. Uh, but you want some kind of regular pattern of gathering together right. and building community, real common unity mm-hmm. uh, with each other in that way. And I like how you talked about even groups of three. Like it doesn't nec- it doesn't have to be necessarily seven or eight That's mixed right. yeah. people from the congregation. Mm-hmm. But I mean men and women in the same group. It can just be three of your uh, closest friends, who whom even you trust, because I want to turn to a sensitive thing of confessing sin. Mm-hmm. Right? The scriptures say, he who confesses sin finds mercy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, frankly, I'm wondering, can we even grow in holiness without the confessions of our sins? Because, as you said, we need to recognize that we're messes. Well, that seems intimately involved with confession of sin. Yeah, yeah. No, you you can't grow in holiness without confessing your sin. Um, confessing is a means of grace. Therefore, confessing mm-hmm. is agreeing with God mm-hmm. about your sin. You're, you're taking God's perspective 
on your sin. And when we fail to do that, then you have to ask yourself the question, whose perspective am I taking? Mm. You know, you're either taking your own sin's perspective, and, and all of our sins are self-interested. That's right. They're, they're interested in justifying themselves That's and right. continuing. And so you can't just sort of go blasé through life without confessing because you're simply going to be agreeing with your flesh or the world or the devil, our, our three enemies, right? And so what confessing does is it, it, it pauses us in the stream of life, and, it, and it's an opportunity for us to self-consciously go, you know, answer the question, who's on the Lord's side? Right. I'm on the Lord's side against my sin, against my flesh, against the world, against the devil. And I, I agree with the Lord right. uh, about the heinousness of this thing. And, and that is, that's the first several steps mm-hmm. in, in then sort of walking out a practical holiness uh, as a Christian, and hopefully doing that in fellowship with other Christians. Mm-hmm. Let me say one other thing about you know the small groups. You making the point about you know a small group could be three, could be your, three of your closest friends. Right. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, what I want to encourage people to think is that by closest friend, I hope they understand that this is someone then who would not only hear their confession. But it's also someone who would challenge them in their mess, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. some of our closest friends are people who kind of hear, but they don't bring the healing of the word mm-hmm. to bear. Mm-hmm. And they don't bring the correction of love to mm-hmm. bear. Um, they just kind of hold our hands and skip through it with us. And um, actually, you need th- those, are, those are okay people to have in your life, but not on your sin issues. On right. your sin issues, you need someone who loves you enough to look you right in the eye and go, Brother, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, man, you, I can't believe you said that yeah, to your wife. You need yeah. to go home and confess and repent, yeah. you know, and uh, I'll be over there tomorrow. If you ain't done it by tomorrow, <laughs> you know, I'm going to raise it with her, man. That's jacked up. You know, you need somebody getting your mess a little yeah. bit in love yeah. whom you can take that from yeah, and right. uh, whom you'll submit to, you know, in that. So, Because yeah. I, I remember once talking with uh, one of my pastors and, he, and I was talking about uh, sin and he was saying, he was saying, are your friends challenging you? Mm. He's, he's, and he wasn't asking, are you guys getting together and confessing? Right. Because, like you said, it, it comes together, oh, yeah, I fell again. and mm-hmm. well, I did too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's try harder. Mm-hmm. All right, let's meet next week. Yeah. You know, yeah. nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened. And then you go away talking about, I struggle with this thing. You don't struggle with it. Mm. You know, if you struggled with it, there'd be the cutting off of arms, the gouging out of eyes, right. and you'd have people next to you holding the forcep, mm-hmm. you know, ready, <laughs> ready to help you gouge. Yeah. That, that's struggle. That's battle. Right. You know, just labeling it struggle when what you really mean is you capitulate to it. That's right. Um, that, that's, that's not confessing. Right. You know, that's, that's not yet agreeing with God about it. And, and if I can say one more thing about that, T, I love how personal you were talking about uh, the confession of sin, true contrition, mm-hmm. uh, how personal you were making it. Because let's face it, one of the results of the fall is blame shifting. That's exactly right. Right? So mm-hmm. I don't know how many of my prayers have sounded like, Lord, forgive me for uh, saying this to my mom. But you know, Lord, she... Uh, <laughs> uh, if she had. <laughs> yeah, if yeah. she had. Right? And I mean, it's amazing to me to watch Adam in the first three chapters. Mm-hmm. Right? So chapter, uh, he gets his uh, he, he gets his wife. Mm-hmm. Bone of my bone, mm-hmm. flesh of poetry. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Chapter later. Mm-hmm. Well, God, this woman you dumped on. Mm-hmm. You know, if she mm-hmm. had it, you know, and yep. that's just the result. Man. That's yeah. just the result. Blame shift. Last thing to talk about uh, is sometimes, sometimes an unfortunate result of sin that does not go confessed, or sin that's uh, treated, coddled in a sense, sin that's uh, 
hidden or protected uh, is unrepentant sin. There's mm-hmm. a there's a hardness, a callousness mm-hmm. that develops. Uh, and what we have to do as churches, as Paul calls us to, is to discipline that mm-hmm. sin. Mm-hmm. Right? Or Matthew 18, mm-hmm. and take go to him, take two or three brothers. Okay, mm-hmm. then let the church put you know put him out. Uh, can you just talk about discipline and its effects on mm-hmm. holiness? It's does do we need to discipline for holiness? Because mm-hmm. a lot of churches forego discipline, mm-hmm. right? a corporate discipline mm-hmm. at least. Yeah. One theologian said, and this again is hyperbole, but you, you'll get the point. One theologian said, when discipline leaves the church, Christ goes with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's far from the truth. Um, that when the church ceases to practice uh, loving correction, mm-hmm. as Jesus instructs us to, that church is in disobedience mm-hmm. to the Lord. Mm-hmm. Its leaders is in disobedience to the Lord. And we cannot expect God's blessings of holiness when we are living in disobedience to the Lord. Right. Um, so Matthew 18, 15 to 17, really clear passage outlining what to do in the case of discipline between um, two in, an individual that's a sin, that's sinned against another and they've been unable to repair the breach. First um, Corinthians chapter 5, another situation where the whole church is called to act immediately um, in a situation where uh, one man's sin is worse than the unbelievers mm. and the church is kind of proud. Mm. They see themselves as accepting. Titus 3 verse 10, um, instructing discipline in a case where someone's being divisive. Mm. One him once, one him twice after that, have nothing to do with him. Mm. Um so the scripture is, we could go on, it's right. replete with examples in the Old Testament, for example, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and instruction in the New Testament mm-hmm. uh, about this area of love, where, that, that, where the whole church on some level is called to then intervene in the life of an individual Christian or, or several Christians with the goal not of punishing them, mm-hmm. but of restoring them, mm-hmm. of leading them to repentance and in repentance, leading them back to Christ, and in leading them back to Christ, leading them into that way of life um, that is their calling mm-hmm. as Christians. And so, when you leave that out, when you, when you don't do that, here's what you notice immediately: you have no way of helping people who really are entangled in their sin. Mm-hmm. You you can go to them and you can plead with them. You can try to counsel them. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. But if you've ever done that with someone who really is, as you asked the question, unrepentant mm-hmm. and hard in their sin, you, then you have felt how weak those particular tools are. Right. Right. They are the wrong tools for this particular job. For mm-hmm. this particular job, Jesus says, use church discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where in, in increasing levels of accountability, um, the, 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 the person and their sin issue is brought before the, the leaders of the church who exhort them to repentance mm-hmm. and, and restoration. And when that fails, in, at least in a congregational context, are brought to that, that case is brought to the entire church and the entire church family mm-hmm. exhorts them, stop this, put away this sin, mm-hmm. be reconciled to Christ, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And when they won't hear the entire church, then they are then they are put out of the membership of the church. And again, in First Corinthians chapter five, with the hopes that in being turned over to Paul says they're being turned over to Satan, which right. means to be put back into the world outside of the protection of the church. That with the hopes that in being turned over to the world, the sort of beating and buffeting of the world 
on that person would cause them to then value their soul more than their sin um, and, and thus be turned to Christ and be saved on the day of judgment. So our, our goal in this is redemptive. And, and we need this tool um, because it, 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 it promotes holiness and it promotes the witness of the church. Um, and this is a particular problem that other tools don't fit. Um, and so we want to be faithful to our Lord and faithful to our people um, in practicing discipline. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for that, T. And it does make me, uh, it does even, it's a hard topic, but it does cause me to rejoice. And I love how you said it. It's an area of love. Frankly, the happy, some of the most beautiful moments I've had in my tenure here at my current church uh, is when a member is restored. Oh, man, it's beautiful. It's I'm not beautiful. sure there's a more beautiful moment. It's beautiful. It is Luke 15 come to life in a sense, right? Yeah. I mean, it is, yeah. it is, it is a cause for celebration. That's exactly right. It's a cause for a party. And and, it, and if it's the case that in Second Corinthians two, I believe it is, where Paul uh, instructs them to receive the brother who is now repented and to you know, sort of take off the discipline and, and of reaffirming their love, um, then yeah, I mean, it's it's very appropriate. To rejoice, as in that Luke 15 sense, you know, all of heaven rejoices at the repentance of a sinner. Um, it's very appropriate to rejoice and to do this with the hope of that rejoicing, mm-hmm. to do this in faith, believing that this is the means that Jesus said he would use mm-hmm. to restore and correct uh, and, to, and to deepen the joy of mm-hmm. all concern. And so we need to do this with great faith and and just want to recommend a couple things to people if you're listening to this and you've you've not thought through church discipline before or you you'd want to know more or you have thought about this and you, you want some more resources and tools um the last weekend in september of this year 2015 uh the nine marks at southeastern conference mm-hmm. uh will be focusing on church discipline um so if you go online and do nine marks at southeastern um you should be able to find a place where you can register and uh information on on this very important topic one of the brothers who will be speaking there is uh, Jonathan Lehman mm-hmm. Nine Marks Ministries who's mm-hmm. written a couple of excellent books on this topic if you want to wade into this slowly and think through the cultural dynamics on this um, the church and the surprising offense of God's love is a masterful book that Lehman wrote if you want that in kind of the Cliff Notes version <laughs> he's written a smaller book uh, you could probably read in one or two sittings mm-hmm. called Church Discipline right. um, and so those are great resources to read from Nine Marks um, our brother Mark Lauterbach has written a wonderful book some years ago called Transforming Community. Uh, so we began this discussion talking about the kind of cultural context our local churches should have. Uh, that book gets at, at some of that quite nicely uh, as it thinks about church discipline. Uh, so lots of great resources out there. Uh, check the Nine Marks website for other audio and, and written resources. Um, but but this is an area where I pray the Lord's church would, would grow in faithfulness. Uh, and, and let me say this, one other point on this sort of grow in faithfulness. One of the things that's really important is that local churches not just practice discipline as individual congregations, but that we learn to work together in such a way that we uphold the discipline of other congregations. Mm. See, it's really easy for people to get sort of mad when you confront them about their sin and look to go off to some other church. But if I know that pastor across town and we have a working relationship in the gospel and this person shows up at my church looking to escape that church, then I'm, I'm able to call them up and say, hey, I got somebody looking to join our church to become a member. 
They say they're coming from your church. I, did they leave in good standing? Mm-hmm. And that pastor, that pastor were to say to me, as as has happened on occasion, no, brother, they left here with these things unresolved, with these kinds of sin issues we've been trying to address in their life. Then I'm not going to welcome that person mm-hmm. to membership in my church. I'm not going to welcome them to the table. I'm going to steer them first back to that church to submit to that discipline um, and to receive that as grace from the Lord. Uh, and when that's the case, then they can fruitfully, perchance, move elsewhere uh, if necessary and, and go on uh, in the grace of the Lord, growing uh, in, in the knowledge of Him. Mm. Well, see, this has been a wonderful session chopping up uh, chop, on, dis- on discipline. And this, I think we're concluding even this section on holiness and purity. Mm. Uh, and it's a neg- particularly with discipline, we're dealing with a neglected mm. tool no in doubt. so many ways. Uh, and our next topic... Uh, is a wonderful topic, but I think also sadly comes from an area of neglection. And mm. uh, as you've put it, the most neglected part of a pastor's job description mm. is shepherding women. Mm-hmm. I look forward to talking to that and look forward to looking up neglection. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it up. Yes, you, you did. You yes, you did. You well, you know, I had to. <laughs> <laughs> Because we talk all kinds of ways on the porch, man. You just say what you want to. You can make up the words you want to. I think neglection's in uh, Well, I was smiling earlier. I didn't say this, but now I'll uh, go ahead and uh, capitulate. But uh, I was just laughing. I was like, man, this is the only conference in the world on church discipline. Which is, You're probably right. You're probably which right. Is sad, which is sad. Which truly is sad. We, mm. It's not a laughing matter. Uh, mm. But it is a laughing matter. You're going to be there. Right. And I was like, yep. Sign up for church this. That's there it. You that's go. it. Be a good weekend. Nine marks at Southeastern. The last weekend in September. In September, said? yes. Yeah. Um, hopefully, we'll see you, brothers and sisters, there. Uh, Till next time. Uh, Tell them some more neglection. Right. <laughs> we'll see you. Peace. <laughs>